I believe that every time the new year rolls around, even though I feel a little older, I always feel like there's, it's a great opportunity to have a fresh start and sort of take a deep breath. Uh, some of us we know are looking forward to some special things, like we have a, a baby that's going to be born uh, hopefully next month. I'm really excited about that. It's, it's hard to believe we're saying next month. That's really crazy. We've had a baby born in the past month, uh, so we have new grandparents. It's just it's incredible how life goes on and God's doing wonderful things. And I'm excited about it as we take a deep breath and just take it in, what it all means. It's time also for those uh, wonderful things we call resolutions. Resolutions. Are you making some, Desiree? Making some resolutions? Got a long list? Okay. That's awesome. Any, who, who makes them? You know, I ask you this often as a church. Who makes resolutions? Yeah, it's okay. Be brave. Make resolutions. Raise your hand. How many of you have failed in, in your resolutions that you've... Yeah, okay. That's why you don't make them anymore, right? I get it. Uh, it it's really amazing. They're, they're important. And for some people, I, I, when I've talked to them, it's kind of like they're window shopping a little bit. They're going, you know, that would be nice to happen. Or, or let's do that. Let's try that. Or, and I don't want to discourage anyone. I believe in goal setting. I really do. And I do it all the time. I'm very much a goal-setting guy. I make lists. I set targets for my personal life. I set targets for our church and, and my personal growth. And, and uh, I love it. I think that's important to do. But I also realize that it can be hard to make those resolutions and for them to stick or to come to fruition. And uh, I think sometimes goal-setting makes us feel better just when we set the goal. Uh, and sometimes we do it just because we know we should. But I want to talk to you about some goal setting this morning that I think is very achievable, very healthy, very good. It's not going to be dangerous to your emotions. It's going to be good for you in the deepest parts of your life. Because oftentimes when we're making those New Year resolutions, it might have to do with all sorts of things about the number of books we're going to read. I have a friend that wants to read 60 books every year. That's incredible. He did 59 last year. He feels like a failure. That's crazy, right? And then there's other others people may set it about health goals. Whatever you're setting, those are all good things. But I want to go deeper with you this morning and be a good pastor and a good shepherd and, and talk to you about some resolutions for your soul. Some, some deep-seated, wonderful parts of you where God wants to work. I believe there's things in your life that God wants to work on. And I want to talk about the secret to that success, because there is one. It's found in the Bible. And my hope is by looking in this series that I'm starting today called God's Stories, by looking at different stories of how God worked in people's lives, some of them are going to be biblical biblical characters that were a little bit obscure, uh, and, and we'll just come to understand how God might be working in our lives. Because I'm telling you, here's the truth. God's at work in everybody's life in this room and online today. God is there. There are intersections and there are interruptions taking place. But we don't always notice them. We don't always see that that was God. And so God's given us the Bible, the Word of God, where some of those intersections were, were written down. It's amazing. And even though they're all around us, I hope that we become more conscious of what God is trying to do in our lives. Because you've heard me preach for the past six months on this theme that you know that God is at work. And whether you see Him or not, He's good and He's at work. 
But what a wonderful thing to be able to walk into a new realm in your life where you see the hand of God. That's a good thing, and I'm praying for that. And hopefully this awakens something in your soul today about God's stories that are happening all around you because they're everywhere. And so today we want to learn about some stuff about this by looking at a guy named Amos who's in the Bible. This isn't the famous Amos cookie guy. This is the not-so-famous Amos that some of you have probably never even read about because he's a little obscure. He's, he wrote a small book of the Bible. I, I believe it's nine chapters. And he's considered what we call a minor prophet in the Bible. Now, when you hear that term, minor prophet, that's just the term given to some of the books in the Bible who were written by prophets who didn't write as much as others. So they're minor because they're shorter in length, okay? Still very, very important. But Amos is oftentimes forgotten when you all crack open the Bible and you say, what do I want to read about today? What kind of devotional would I like to have? We oftentimes won't turn to Amos because if you do go there and if you have a Bible, flip there or spin there on your phone and you'll see that uh, some of what he says is kind of hard to read. It's kind of tough to see the things he says because he was kind of a harsh guy. He was a prophet in Israel, somewhere around 700 B.C., and as a prophet, God had placed him in this world to challenge the people around him. And sometimes Amos even insulted the people around him. And the question of the day is, how was God using Amos, and what can we learn from that? So it begins like this, Amos, can you find it there in your Bible? Amos chapter 1 says this, the message, this message, was given to Amos, a shepherd. Okay, that's interesting. Calls himself a shepherd from the town of Tekoa, or Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Okay, that's just placing him in time. Verse 2 says, this is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. How's that for a greeting? Doesn't sound like fun. But nevertheless, this is in the Bible. And there's a lot here for us. That's kind of the theme of the whole book. He talks about destruction that is coming to Jerusalem, to Israel. He talks about a horrible time coming, all because of the sin of the people of God. But there's a lot of good there, I promise. This is a good book, and I challenge you to read all nine chapters. It was written in a time, like so many of the prophets, when Israel had reached a really low point in their devotion to God, the God of Israel. And, you know, we, we pick on them all the time. We, you, you can't study the Bible without studying the people of Israel and seeing all their flaws. But never forget that when you're reading about Israel, you're reading about yourself. You have flaws. You have high points. You have low points. And maybe some of those words even speak to you. The people had become greedy. They stopped following what we would call biblical values. Uh, the wealthy elite were getting richer and richer at the expense of others, and even the harm of others. That's the context of what's going on in Israel. And 
That sounds familiar to you, I'm sure. It's, it's what we often see in the Old Testament, and it's what we see around us in the world today. I mean, it wouldn't take you long to stare at our world right now and just see all the inequity, all the concerns, all the struggles. And at the root of the inequity, the concern, and the struggles would be what we would call sin. Sin. Aren't you glad you came today? We're talking about sin. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And so God speaks to this guy named Amos and tells him to go north from where he was living to Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, and to start preaching. And so through the prophet Amos, God tells the people very clearly that they're going to be judged because of their sins. And he gets very colorful and very, very uh, detailed that it's going to be really bad. Now, here's a trivia for you. Amos is the first prophet to use the term, the day of the Lord. You've probably heard that. The day of the Lord. This is an important phrase in, in future, what we call prophetic writing and apocalyptic writing, end of time coming. And in those days, the people thought the day of the Lord would mean something really good. And one of his jobs that God gave him was to explain to them that the day of the Lord was going to mean something really bad for them because they weren't following God and that that bad was coming soon, and it was going to be a divine judgment. Tough stuff. And so Amos started preaching, along with other prophets, to challenge them. He challenged uh, Israel about injustice, how they treated the poor, how they treated young women, how they treated each other. He was very clear and very specific about sins. And he just went down the line of things. And you and I would just shudder as you read through this until you stop and see, boy, that is a picture of people without God. People take advantage of one another. People abuse those that can be abused. People hurt one another. Sin is everywhere. So he's a prophet. And, and prophets preached about bad things. And they preached about doom. And we're going to look at some of the tough things he said and I know you're not going to like him. That's just how it's going to go. You're not going to go, oh, I want to meet this guy. You're not going to say that. But there are some things about him that really touched me. And we're just going to move through some things that I wrote down, as I often say while I'm studying, some unique things about him. And those things that we see in him that are unique are a God story. Because I want you to keep in mind, prophets were called by God. And God often works in ways that we don't appreciate. God may work in ways in your life that you don't expect and you might not even like. That's how it is. But he's, he's unique in some ways that I find very interesting. First of all, he's a shepherd and he's a farmer. That's who he was at first. He gathers sycamore fruit. He had a sycamore farm. And it's during this time of farming and he had already had his business. He had graduated from Oklahoma State. He was out there. He had a big white truck and flannel shirts and boots. And he was a hardworking business guy. We would all love him. We would invite him to Harmony till he started talking because he was rude. But that's who he was. He was out. He's a hardworking guy. In Amos chapter 7, he describes himself, verses 14 and 15, he says, just so you'll know this about me, he says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. 
But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Okay? So he sees himself first, not as a prophet, but as a shepherd and a farmer of fruit. That's who this guy is. And I love this. He's, he's a business guy. He's not just a poor shepherd. He owned land. He's busy. He's humble. And he is successful. And he's the kind of guy we would call self-made. Outdoorsman. Like I said, the flannel shirts, the boots, and the pickup truck. Kind of one of us. He's a tough guy. And he didn't mince his words. He's a little bit of a Clint Eastwood sort of character, if any of you guys remember who Clint Eastwood was. He's the guy that said, go ahead, make my day. Whenever I want to feel cool, I watch an old Clint Eastwood movie, and I just imagine myself being that cool. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you younger guys don't. That's so sad, because Clint Eastwood, he could just make any situation seem cool because he was an old dude that shot pretty straight. He had no sympathy for laziness. He had no sympathy for people who wouldn't do the right thing. Historians say he had a strong will. You can see in his writings he had a strong set of convictions. He had a sense of justice about him. And I'm telling you what, guys, even though it's not something you kind of want to curl up with in front of the fireplace, maybe to make yourself feel better, every now and then you need to hear from this perspective. And God has this divine intersection with him, this God story, and calls this guy into ministry. Now, the reason I'm being so tough on him is as I'm watching him write, I'm comparing it to other prophets who wrote in the Scripture, and you can see their personality comes out in their writing. That's the way God does it. So whoever you are, you've been designed with a certain kind of personality, a certain style of life, and God calls you to be involved with him, that personality is going to go with you in that work. And that's what's happening here. So I want to say this again. God gave you a personality. It's the thing that makes you unique. And he was unique. And God has a plan for every personality. You should say amen. Because it's true. Yeah, one person. Everybody, ready? Amen. God has a plan for you just as you have been created. God can figure out how to use you and if you'll follow God, God knows how to place you in His service in a way that is perfect for you, I promise. We just got to keep that in mind as 2022 unfolds. So He's kind of a grumpy guy, kind of a Grinch sort of dude, the Kleenex with sort of guy, you on a bad day. And another big point that He makes, it's very important, He says, I was neither a prophet nor was I a son of a prophet. So He excludes Himself from a religious class of people. He says, I was not one of the inside crowd. He's not part of the sons of prophets. He was never officially appointed a prophet. He didn't come from that spiritually elite. And I promise you, none of his buddies could believe it when he said, I am off to preach. He, he, he refers to something called sons of prophets. Now, there was a formal school of prophets set up a oh, hundred or so years before him by Samuel. It was a very elite place to go and learn to do ministry, prophetic ministry, okay? It took young men and it trained them to serve the nation as spiritual leaders and advisors. They studied God's law, they studied the sacred history, and they studied music. 
And at the same time, they also learned a trade to help support them in ministry. So it was a great thing. And it produced all kinds of great servants of God. All kinds of people went out and served. But he didn't do that. He didn't go to this seminary. He probably couldn't sing or play an instrument. Okay? Again, humble, hardworking, self-employed guy, paid his bills, lived by principles, believed in God, followed God the best he could. Yet God called him to do something. And he started sensing that God had called him. I don't know who he talked to about it, but he probably didn't rush to the temple because he probably didn't have any friends there. But he didn't feel in whatever was going on that he could say no to God. And I think that's important. You may feel like, you know, I don't have the right personality to do that particular thing for God or you know, nobody knows me, or I didn't go to seminary, or I'm not special in any way. If God thumps your heart, that's your qualification. And that's where we all should learn to say yes. And I'm praying in 2022, whatever God lays in your lap, and He's going to lay something, something. He's going to tell you about something. He's going to call you to something. He's going to speak to you about new things in your life. Whatever comes your way, don't let your personality or any of those excuses prevent you from saying this one word to God, and that word is, yes, I'll do it. It changed his life, and he started doing God's work. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't study the Word of God as they had it. He studied what we call the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, okay? He knew the spiritual history. He knew the commands of God. That's very clear in what he says. But the big story here, the God story here to me is, this is a guy who never intended to serve God in ministry. He probably would be the guy that says, I'm just going to be in the background. I'm going to give offerings to it. I'm going to be a blessing to others, but I'm not the guy that wants to be in front. He intended to work with the livestock and the fruit. He wanted to be a farmer. But he was interrupted by a vision from God, literally. Dreams, visions. And that's his God story, this interruption in his life, this intersection, this interruption that God planned just for him. And so he served. Let me tell you something I know is true. God will speak to you. He will talk to you, he will thump your heart, and he will call you to things. You may say, Rob, not me, I'm just a student in high school, I'm just a college person, I'm just a guy working an everyday job, I'm, I'm this, I'm not anything that God can use. Oh yeah, God speaks to you, he thumps you on the heart, and wherever you are is your opportunity to serve him with a yes or a no. There's no sign that he gave up his farm. In fact, it looks like he, he used his farm to support his work because he was not on the government payroll. And let me tell you, this guy was a powerhouse. He became a fire-breathing spiritual preacher. And when he wrote, he let it fly. You know, there, there was no a proper way to say things to him. He let it go. He was disgusted with sin. And God used him to smack people in the face with it. None of us would like him, I'm sure. But that's his God story. That's his calling. For example, Amos chapter 1, verse 3. Just an example. It says, this is what the Lord says. Okay, this is how he said things. He said that phrase many times. He said, the people of Damascus have sinned again and again. And I, speaking for God, 
will not let them go unpunished. And he goes down and lists city after city. He lists Damascus and Gaza and Edom and Amnon. On and on he lists them. And in every case, he says the same thing. The people have sinned again and again, and I will not let it go unpunished. A really fun guy. Someone you want to have over for dinner, I know. He's going to look around the groom and says, you keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over again, and God's going to get you. He was alarmed by inequity and justice. He was sickened by things. That's who he was. And he told the story over and over, the story that God had given him to tell, everyday blunt terms, really blunt. Chapter 4, now this is really blunt He makes some points. He makes them very quickly. I want to read in the New Living uh, Translation, Amos chapter 4, because I just think it's so interesting. New Living Translation. Your translation will say it a little differently, but it means the same thing. He says this. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. You women who oppress the poor, you crush the needy, and are always calling on your husbands, bring us another drink. Now, your Bible said differently. It talks about the cows of Bashan. Amos compares these rich, lazy women of Samaria to the well-fed cows of Bashan. Now, already, I shudder. Going on to verse 2, he says, The sovereign Lord has sworn this by His holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. Mm, Good guy. Bring him home to mama. Okay, here's the thing. This guy had the nerve to call the women fat, drunk cows. I mean, that's my interpretation. And he lived to tell the story. That's the miracle. That's his calling. And I'm guessing he wasn't married. Or if he had a girlfriend, she walked out. But when I first started reading and studying that, I just became so amused at the words that God allowed him to say. Now, I don't use those words. I'm not called to be a prophet. I like a nice guy, and I want to keep my marriage. I want you to like me. But he's calling them out in this brutal, ugly way because of their disregard for God, and he's warning them, you're going to be overthrown by other nations because of it. And that's the story of Israel. And that can be the story of life when we don't listen to God, when we, when we aren't challenged by what God has to say anymore. We can lose things. We can be overcome by things around us. I'm not saying it takes away your salvation, but I'm saying good and bad can come because of decisions we make. Verse 12 says, Therefore I will bring upon you all the disasters I've announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. It's harsh, cynical, foreboding. Could never win a vote to be a pastor. But that's his God story, to tell the world about destruction that comes when people ignore God. Now, today we have Jesus to save us. That's made all the difference. But the truth about sin is the same. And that message is still pretty relevant. Maybe not the fat, drunk, cow part, but it's still relevant. And when you see evil, you should be willing to define evil as evil. Idolatry is idolatry. Ingratitude toward God is sad. When you see oppression, it should bother you. Sin is destructive. Sin ruins lives. It ruins communities. 
So you may be saying to yourself, well, Pastor Rob, we have Jesus, dude. Why do we need to study this? That's my first note in the, in the bulletin, worship bulletin, if you want to take it. Sometimes we need to be reminded that sin is a bad thing. We do, guys. God is a righteous God. He's a loving God. But sin separates us from Him. And sin separates those we love around us from Him. And if we love our lives and our families' lives, and we love the world and the people around us, we should be concerned. And God used Amos in this crude way to help others see that. And see, here's what I want to say about that. Harmony Church should be concerned about that. We should work hard to build a better church so that people can find God grow in God, learn to love one another, learn to love God, learn how to bless others. And also, by the way, be saved from the destruction that is sin. And so sometimes we need to be reminded that sin is a bad thing. And and let me tell you something, that truth gives us purpose. Purpose. Maybe not like Amos, but it gives us purpose. This purpose is about loving others who are in sin so that they too can find their way to God's purpose for them so that their story becomes a God story. Romans 5 and 8 says this, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ makes it clear, I'm going to meet you where you are. I see you. Where do I see you? In sin. While you're still a sinner, Christ dies for you so that you can have him in your heart. Sinners, that's where we all begin. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says. And guys, I just want to remind you of that. And God made the perfect sacrifice for us to do this one thing. Save us. To save us before we were good or or looked better. There's a lot of things I pray for. I pray for God to make your day easy. I I pray for God to make my day go well. I just say, oh, Lord, just bless this day. Let the sun shine. Let all the wonderful things happen that comes my way. God, as I skip down the road of life today, bless it, bless it, bless it. Right? And God says, I've saved you from destruction. Move on. Sinners, that's where it all began. And the God story was Amos is that he was called from his humble life to tell the world that they were wrong. So that they could find a right relationship with God. Any of you ever had a loving conversation with an angry father? Anybody at all? Yeah? Any of you ever been an angry father having a loving conversation with your children? Anybody? No? No hands? We're nervous. We're nervous. Sometimes you got to tell people around you the truth. And the truth is hard. Now we have the answer for the truth in Jesus. But that truth about sin and destruction is hard. I plead, I plead that young guys and gals and all families understand that. Here's a truth you need to learn. You don't have to sow wild oats. You don't. 
You don't have to experience bad things in order to live a great and incredible life. You don't have to walk down the path. You can delight in being different. You can delight in standing up for Christ in a world that sometimes doesn't appreciate that. You can do that. And you don't have to do it like Amos did. You can be nice, as you call them, fat, drunk cows. And you may feel like today God uses you in very humble ways. You may feel like you wish God used you differently than he does at least you don't have the job that Amos did. So guys, here's the deal. Even though the words of Amos are, are, are cruel and rude, I'm telling you, he was driven by love. Dads who do a good job being dads tell bad things in love. Love compels us. Love compels us to talk in ways that we wouldn't otherwise talk. Love compels us. Love compels us to say, that's wrong, and it's hurting you. And all around you in your life today, I know you know people that are being overwhelmed by sin, and you're praying for them, and you're being kind for them. But understand, that destruction that might be coming their way could very well possibly just be simply they're running away from a God who loves them more than they can even imagine, and they haven't been willing to stop and listen. And God used a guy named Amos to get them to stop. I'm telling you, he loved them. His heart was in the right place. And as much as he yelled and he ran it, he also prayed for the people that he served. And, and when he prayed in Amos chapter 7, he says, The sovereign Lord showed me a vision. I saw him prepared to send a swarm of locusts over the land. This was after the king's share had been harvested from the fields and the main crop was coming up. And in my vision, the locusts ate green plant every eight ate every green plant in sight. And, and then I said, O oh, Sovereign Lord, please forgive. O oh, Sovereign Lord, please forgive us or we will not survive. And the Lord relented from His plan. I will not do it. Same guy calls you a fat cow. Prays for you that God would save you. That touches me. Obviously, he saw their guilt, but he also saw the destruction coming their way, and he saw that God was the answer. Okay, what does all that have to do with resolutions? I wanted you to share his story, so hopefully you'd feel better about your story. But there's some help here for crafting some resolutions this year that I think are spiritual. And I want to lift up some principles today from Amos that might help us, might help us set some goals in life. Principles that come from statements he made repeatedly as he communicates them. And as I'm reading, I'm just writing these down. They're touching me, so I thought they might touch you. I'm going to boil them down to some simple principles and try to explain them. So if you're thinking about 2022, a new year, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? What are my resolutions? The first question I want to ask you, based upon what Amos said, is this. Do I know what the Lord has said? Over and over, Amos said, this is what the Lord says. Okay, that's important. If you're a King James reader, it says, thus saith the Lord. Strong statement. Amos says that 40 times. 40 times he's saying, this is what the Lord says. It's like he's yelling it and reminding them of what God said because they don't seem to be remembering. And I just want to challenge you this morning. I want to call you to remember how good the Bible is. It's an amazing book. It's not just a book. 
It's a heritage of truth about what God has said. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know the Word? Or are you learning to know the Word? Can you know more about the Word? Before you join a gym or buy a book, stop and listen to what the Lord has already said. Make sure that you understand what He has said. For example, in Amos chapter 5, this is what the Lord says to Israel. It says, seek me and live. I shared that last week. And then he says, don't seek at Bethel or Gilgal or Beersheba. And he talks about how those places are going to lead them away. Verse 6, he says, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord to live. Seek the Lord through his word. What has the Lord said? I love it so much. So many people are hurting and hungry and craving and needing. And I'm telling you, their answer is found in the Word of God and the love of God that comes from that. And he says, where does a good life come from? It comes from God. It comes from seeking. The Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from above. I quoted that a lot in the last series. And God has a goal for you. And that's one thing. For you to live. That's his intention. God is not sold on destroying anyone. That's not his desire. He wants all of us to live, not only live, but have eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God wants. God wants life for you. And your life is why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. That's your living. And I want to remind you of that as this new year unfolds, that that cross is still there for you. And do you know about it? If you want a life, study the Word of God. Seek the Lord. Discover what He has already said. It's found in His Word. Seek Him and live. It's amazing what God says in the Bible. So I want to encourage you to have a renewed desire to search Scriptures. And I'm praying and hoping and believing we're going to find more and more ways so that everyone can gather in groups this year and study the Word of God. Read about it. Some of it. All of it. Uh... Maybe you don't read the whole Bible in a year like some people in this room just did, I saw. But maybe you read some of it. Any of it. I, I've said this and I'll repeat it over and over again. One verse that you really absorb, that you just take in, that you learn about, that you love on, and you let it love on you, that is life-changing. You don't have to be the one that knows everything, but do you know what God has said about anything? Do you know? He says, seek the Lord and live. And he's saying also, don't seek some other things. He talked about those cities. And basically, those are just symbolic of, of destruction. Cities that have been, who were once holy and good, became overcome by idol worship and sin. And overwhelmingly so. So he says very simply, seek the Lord and live. Don't seek the sin. It will destroy you. See, that's important because... A divided heart doesn't work. Matthew 6 and 24, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's important. He's telling you something really significant. The way you know that something or someone is your master is that it takes precedence over every other important thing in your life. That's how you know it's a master. Everything starts there. Put the Word of God first and see how all those other things can fall into place. It's just amazing. He says, do you know what the Lord says? The second principle comes from another phrase that he, he said often, and it was, hear this Word. 
So here's the question. What do I need to hear from God? Okay, do I know what God has said? And what do I need to hear from God? Sometimes the words that Amos gave to the people were very specific. So what does God say about life? But what is he trying to get your attention about in 2022? Something. Something. Something you may need to understand more deeply. Something in the word that you've never seen before that God's going to bring you. I'm so excited about. Something you've been missing or something you've been ignoring or some growth that you need, but you haven't sought it out. Amos said to Israel, he was saying, here is where you really need to listen. Hear me on this. Very important. Here's another question. What is the Lord showing me? Amos cried out as he preached. I love it. This is what the Lord showed me. Your story. What is God teaching you today? Amos chapter 3 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants and his prophets. The promise is there that God will reveal his plans. You do not have to walk in darkness. You do not have to walk in a life without direction. God wants to give you direction. I want to tell you something. I believe it deeply. God enjoys helping you understand. He's a good God. He has sent the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's always available when you need it. Seek Him. God wants you to know things, and He's willing to show you. Just be willing to listen. The problem with the people that Amos was speaking to is they weren't listening. So the difference is those who listen and those who won't. As a parent, sometimes I've been known to say, are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what's coming out of my mouth? Are you listening? It's an important set of word because you're talking to another person and you get the impression that they're not listening. Your wife will often say to you, husband, you don't listen. They get that from God. God says all the time, you don't listen. It's so good. It's so simple. Oh, I just want to scream it and, and spray it all over the place. Listen. Hear. Be the one that listens. Be the one that hears. That's what he's saying. The sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to somebody. That's how he is. Just be willing to listen. I know you've heard me say it, but it's worth saying again. Please don't be satisfied until you see the fruit of the Spirit flowing in your life. You're created by God to change and grow. Don't, don't be satisfied by a lack of growth. And then something struck me about Amos, and this is the last one in, in Amos chapter 9, for example. He said, he said this very beautifully and eloquently. He said, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. So the last question I have for you as you think about your resolutions is, what's my vision of God right now? What's my vision of God? Who is he to you? You need to go to the Word to get a proper image of who he is. And what does that vision have to say about you? God gave this unique man visions, told him things through dreams and visions. You may or may not get one of those. I'm not saying you won't. But there is a beautiful vision laid before you in the Word of God already. And it paints a picture of a great God, a good God. So who is God to you? And what does that vision say to you? So guys, maybe you're not going to spend 2022 insulting people, pushing people around spiritually, 
But what are you going to do with your spiritual walk? That's my question for you this morning. Of all things you do, please don't let it lay dormant. Don't ignore the God story that he's trying to build in your life. Learn the word. Hear it with your heart. Change before it. See God. Have a vision of God. Then set some goals. Do a devotion or two. Use this outline if you want to. And I pray your New Year is the best you've ever lived. I'm praying it allows you to become aware of God's divine things, His interruption. It's going to be beautiful. And I'm just praying. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you will start with your heart before God. Your time preparing for 2022 might, in fact, be a divine intersection that you really need in your life. And so I pray, I pray for each of you. Grab your Bibles, your phone, your laptop. Grab the Word of God starting today. And just start taking it in and start asking, what does the Lord say about things? And now what's He saying to me? Would you bow your heads? We love you, Lord, more than we can describe, more than we can explain. But God, we love you because you first loved us.